The Hearing, a legal podcast from Thomson Reuters. At the end of the game, players are going up the tunnel and at St Mirren's ground in those days, the opponents, they went left, the home team went right and the referee went straight on to their changing room. The teams are walking up the tunnel and uh, I think it was the captain. Instead of going left, he walked straight on to the referee's room. I thought, that's a bit odd. Maybe it's just, you know, he's lost. But no, we, we found out that he walked into the referee's room and claimed asylum. Hello again, I'm Kevin Poulter, and in today's podcast I'm joined by David Winnie. David is a former professional footballer and now heads up the sports law department at Charles Douglas Solicitors. So regular listeners might be surprised to hear there's a footballer on the show, and they wouldn't be wrong, but David's doing more than that. He's building the bridges between the clubs, the players, the agents and the lawyers. So join us on this international tour as we talk golf at 2am, sweaty Santas in Australia, and how Paisley can be a place of refuge. The Hearing David, thank you for coming and joining us today. Um, and, and people might be surprised that we've got a footballer on the podcast, um, not only because I know nothing about football, uh, but also we're a legal podcast, and I will come on to that. Mm-hmm. But first of all, I want to talk about football. Okay. It might be very brief, um, but but how did it come about? How did this career come about? What were you like at school? Um, it's a long story. I mean, like any kid, any young boy, I love playing football. Um, Not any young boy. Well, just uh, most probably. But yeah, yeah, like most. Um, and um, it's you know when I was a young kid, it was all it was all we had to do. There was no mobile phones, there was no computers, there was no iPads, there was not, it was just football. Um, so I went into that in a big way, um, but along with that, um, surprisingly enough, I enjoyed school and enjoyed learning, um, but I had a decision to make when I was about kind of 16, 17, mm. where the, the, I was at my first club, St Mirren in Scotland. So where did you grow up? Whereabouts? Yeah, sorry, I grew up in uh, Paisley. Okay. Um, in near Glasgow, um, and the manager of the team at the time, St Mirren, a chap called Alec Miller, who I think he came down here and was the assistant manager to Rafa Benitez at Liverpool when they won the European Cup. Mm. So Alec was a manager at the time, and he was pressing me to become a full-time football player. And uh, my mum was saying to me, no, 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 David, you are going to university, son. You're doing what your mother tells you. <laughs> but uh, I I went down to the offices at, at the club and I'd said to mum, look, I'm, I'm, I'm not going to become a football player, I'll study, da, da, da. But I signed the forms uh, <laughs> and I became a, I, my first professional contract. And uh, I remember going home in the bus and I was dreading telling my mum that I'd, you know, become a, I'd signed a professional contract and I hadn't uh, gone to university as per her wishes. Mm. Needless to say, I told her and she wasn't best pleased, but that's kicked off my football career. Um, but I'd always had the hankering at the back of my mind. When it was all done, mm. I would, I would go and study again because I'd got the necessary qualifications higher in Scotland it's mm. hires 
I got the necessary hires to go to university. So that it was always in the back burner. Um, my career, I wasn't sure how it would last, where it would go, but the way it turned out, I mean, it, I, I played predominantly in Scotland, come down to England for a bit, um, played with Middlesbrough. Um, I went to Australia, I went to Iceland, and it allowed me to play um, around the world. Mm. Um, in the main, I had a great time doing it. Uh, made a few friends, won a few trophies, but at the end of it, um, I thought, right, now's the time to to go back to the studying again. So okay, that's, that's where it starts. So, so this was this was in the mid eighties. I oh no, you're when talking. you first started out. That's... Yeah, it was. Um, God, I'm not trying to age you. I'm, don't I know I'm giving away my age. Yeah, <laughs> uh, it was. I made my debut in the first team at St Man when I was 16. Wow. Uh, I know, I think I was one of the youngest players in Scotland anyway to do that and I, I captained the team when I was 21. And um, yeah, it was in my mid-80s, early, early in my mid-80s. Okay, yeah. and, and you, you say you signed some forms and went home and told your mum that, well, I'm now a professional footballer. And what, what sort of advice were you given at the time? What, 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 what did the contract look like? You know what, I couldn't tell you and I was told, sign there, son. Mm. Um, and that's it. And uh, I mean, nowadays it would be, you know, I'm, I've got a solicitor's lawyer's head on now. It would be absolutely criminal to, to you know, to, to, to do that and, and give or no advice. But then I simply trusted the, the coach, the manager to say, or to, to look after my best interest. But in hindsight, it wasn't really the case. And is that the way you? That's what you feel now. But at the time, did you just ride the wave and? Yeah, it was it was simply the excitement of of becoming a professional football player. Mm. You know, I, I mean, in those days, there was no money, great money attached to it. You know, not like these days where you could, you know, it's telephone numbers you're getting paid. Mm. Um, in those days, it was simply the fact that you could. Do a job that you loved. And uh, what, what age did you move out of home? I moved to Aberdeen when I was 22. Okay. Um, I was up there for five years and I, I, I moved down to Middlesbrough for a little bit hmm. and then to Edinburgh. I moved around Scotland playing, but then, as I say, I went over to, yeah. to uh, Canberra in Australia uh, and then Reykjavik in Iceland. So it was like from one extreme to another. And how does that happen? I went to Iceland first, and it was, I was playing a game, um, and a scout, I think, or an agent, actually, an Icelandic agent, um, was at the game, and he knew my contract with the club I was with at the time was coming to an end. Yeah. And he approached me after the game, and he said, look, my brother, who was the manager of the team in Iceland, um, is looking for a player just like you. You're the man. <laughs> Do you want to come and play in Iceland? <laughs> um, and at that time in my life, I was going through a lot of, you know, personal issues, and my, my career was coming to an end. I thought, you know what? Why not? I'll I'll, I'll take the chance. And I got on a plane and flew to Iceland. Um, I hadn't a clue what was there or what was going to meet me when I got mm. there, but it was a great time. I thoroughly enjoyed it. 
And presumably, you'd, you'd, half the criteria being met, you'd been preconditioned to the weather conditions by playing in Scotland. And That's a good point. I, 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 I did actually, or I had, but their football, they play during the summer. So it starts kind of mid-spring and finishes kind of mid-autumn. All right. So for me, it was, it was, I was playing summer football. Yeah. Um, but it didn't get dark. So it was weird, mm. and I, you know, and I didn't feel tired. I was I, sometimes I can remember I was going out playing golf. I'm a typical footballer playing golf. <laughs> I was playing golf at two o'clock in the morning, <laughs> and it's broad daylight. Iceland is a surreal place, um, in a wonderful way, you know, and it had a, it had a huge it had a huge impact on me, you know, not just in a sporting sense, but personally as well. All right, and and. But take, take me then to Australia, because the, the two probably couldn't be further apart. I know. Geographically um, and in, I suppose in terms of just yeah. touch and feel. Yeah, I was I was still in Iceland playing when, due to the contractual nature of um, the contract or Icelandic football, um, there was a gap in the contract that allowed me to go elsewhere. And I was approached by... A Scots, Scottish coach, actually, who was the manager of the team at Canberra. He contacted me and asked if I fancied coming over and playing for a season. And I, yeah, I thought, you know what, I'll have a bit of that. Why not? Yeah. Um, and it was it was just coming into the autumn in, in Iceland, so I played through the summer, which was great, it was lovely. And then I was going down to the Australian summer. It was, it was playing in their top league with a, a good club there. And every away game, I went down there. That's a strange story, actually. I, I, I flew down there and it was about, I think it was about 25 hours, 30 hours mm. in the plane. It was, mm. a, it was a fatal trek. And I got off the plane in Canberra. And this wee old woman came up to me with a bunch of flowers. And uh, she goes, hello, David. I went, oh, yeah, yeah. She goes, I'm your Aunt Elizabeth. And I thought... <laughs> Yeah, she, I thought I thought it was a hidden camera somewhere. <laughs> she goes, "Yeah, oh, no, your your uncle James, da da da." The whole story. He emigrated here years ago, and um, I'm his wife. I, she wasn't technically my auntie, mm. but she was, you know, kind of a way down the line, and uh, she had the same surname as me. So I met a relative when I got off the plane. <laughs> And you know, I'm I'm getting off the plane, and I'm you know I've been on this flight, twenty-five hours, twenty-five hours, <laughs> and I'm not exactly looking great. <laughs> and uh, this wee woman, it was like some of my neighbours. Uh, she walks up to me with flowers, and again, I thought this is a joke. You know, you know the Australians, they're always up to pranks. And I thought, right, someone's having a laugh here, but it was true. It was it was it was genuine. And with Australia and, and Canberra as well, mm. I, I had no clue what it was like there or going to be like. But it was wonderful. It was a brilliant place. Did it make a difference having some, albeit extended family relation there? Did it make it feel more like uh, as much as a home as it could do? Um, No, not really. I mean, I got to know them well and they kind of introduced me, the the Mm. extended family, to Australia and the way of life there. Mm. But Australians by their nature are very friendly. You know, and they're very open people and, you know, they're kind of easy come, easy go. So it was easy to make mates there and friends there. Um, but it was, for a Scotsman, it was weird because the weather just kept getting hotter and hotter and hotter. 
And, uh, you know, it's getting to November, December, you know, being used to the cold, you know, this heat is 35, 40 degrees. And at Christmas, the manager of the team, he invited me around for Christmas dinner. And um, I'm sweating my backside off. <laughs> it's like it was boiling hot and he had a pool in the back. And it was like a, you know, a typical Aussie barbecue and everybody's there and a great time. And Santa's, you know, he, he somebody's dressed in a Santa suit and he's, you can see the sweat jump off, <laughs> coming off him. And he's jumping in the pool. And again, it was surreal. It was a yeah. surreal experience. Why would you come back from Australia to, to the UK? Well, it was only, it was a fixed term contract. I did make inquiries about moving there because the, the price of property then mm. was relatively cheap in comparison to here. And you could, you know, you could buy a big bit of land or, a, you know, quite a substantial property for relatively, yeah. relatively cheaply. Um, Spoken like a football, a professional footballer there. Yeah, I know. And, 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 and I mean, it was a great lifestyle there. It's an outdoor lifestyle. Every, every mm. away game, you're flying, you're going to be flying, you know, hours. It's mm. a massive continent. Mm. Um, I just, I thoroughly enjoyed my, myself there. Um, similar to Iceland, you know, it was just great to experience another culture, another way of life, and and you know, I, I looked at it and that was a big adventure. Mm. And if you if you look at um, the, the press these days, you would think that uh, well, every week there's some footballer having a run in with the law in some way or other, whether it's a tax issue or yeah. or a social media issue or assault or something like this. Um, did you have any sort of legal interactions? Uh, I'm not asking you to explain too much. Uh, when I was playing? Yeah, during um, experiences of, uh, sort of... No, no. I mean, the I actually have a pity. I have sympathy for football players these days because everything they do is really scrutinised. Whereas when I played on the pitch, matters were settled there. I mean, I'd say that in my day, it was the game's brutal. It was a lot harder than it is today. But off the pitch, we'd settle even more in the tunnel, and that would be it done. Oh, really? These days, it would be it would be front page, you know, headlines. Mm. Um, I'm thinking, for example, Tottenham Hotspur. They've got this glass walkway in their new stadium that the, you know the, the the supporters can see the players. Mm. In my day, that would have been no chance because a lot of a lot of um, disagreements were settled in the tunnel. Wow. Yeah. And it uh, wasn't over a discussion. <laughs> I mean, I'm sure a cup of bromfrill. Yeah, exactly. Um, uh, and so, so you, so you come back. Uh, you're back in the UK. Um, you do some management as well. Mm. How, 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 how did that come about? And um, again, I, you, you, as the you were talking before about when you first signed up, mm -hmm. and the the lack of guidance, maybe certainly yeah. in sort of legal terms, did you? switch that around did you have a more sort of open or um i tried to my my first role in in the coaching managing side it was actually in, in Reykjavik in Iceland you know as i said earlier i enjoyed my time there and the club liked me and mm. i'd done you know fairly well and they'd asked me to become the assistant manager of the team and there wasn't just Icelanders in the team it was a you know multinational team and we were a successful team but for whatever reason, that season the team was just couldn't click, and we were struggling, really struggling. Mm. And we were the champions of Iceland at the time. 
And the manager, halfway through the season, he thought, no, I've had enough and resigned. So the club came to me and asked, right, will you take the team? And um, I thought, right, okay, what can I do? You know, I've just, I've just cut my teeth. And I said, right, okay. But our, I think my second game in charge, we had a, a Champions League qualifier in Albania. And um, what a trip that was. It was like something at a Midnight Express. <laughs> um, it was a crazy place. And um, it's it's just, it was a, it was a, a real shock, you know, a, a real mm. jolt in, in the management sense of it and inside mm. of it. But I, I'll be honest, I, I struggled with management in that as a player, you've only got yourself to look after. Really, that's it. Whereas as a manager in football, you're relying on uh, 11, 12, 13 other players and, yeah. and your fate is in their hands. And if they don't fancy it that day, then you're screwed. Yeah. You know, really, because it, it's the rate of, of managers being fired is horrendous. Yeah, and uh, and and that's true. You are as strong as your last yeah. match, um, and you are responsible. Whether it's true or whether it's not, that's how the perception is. So we'll talk about your legal career now, because you're right. And um, I suppose as a, as a lawyer, you may or may not be as strong as your last case, but in reality, it's private. Nobody yes. else hears about it on the football pitch. It's well, it can be front page news. Yeah, I mean, even in my time when I played, you know, the eighties and nineties and you know, early two thousands, your life wasn't your own. People, supporters, or otherwise, thought you were public property. There's that perception. Mm. You're not given any privacy at all, and you know, people say, "Well, you're paid X, Y, and Z, so you know, grin and bear it." But again, that's market forces. And with any job, any profession, if someone's going to pay you that, you're going to take it. Yeah. But there's no privacy at all. You know, I've seen people attack me. I've seen people mm. spit on me. I've had people verbally abuse my wife. So, you know, and, and you're, you can be a hero one day and you can be ridiculed in the media the mm. following day. Mm. You ask your average person to go out on a football field in front of 70,000 people, in front of millions on TV, mm. and go and play. Then you know all about it. Yeah. And, you've, uh, you've got nobody to hide. It's true. It's true. And I, I, in, my, in my head, I want to understand it. But I think it's one of those things which actually you can't think about too much. That um, as a... As a I'll declare myself as a non-football yeah. follower, possibly because I'm from Doncaster originally, so um, <laughs> that's probably has something to do with it. Yeah. But, um, but because of that, I don't, I don't understand it. I don't understand how how there can be this obsession around it and how it, people can become public property. I don't understand the the money that's involved in it. Yeah. But you're absolutely right. And times have changed so much in the last twenty, thirty years that uh, both the media, but also the stadiums are so impressive now. I know. The money that's being uh, sort of exchanging hands, international footballers traveling all over the world. Mm-hmm. Um, it's it's difficult to to justify. You're right, I, but in England, mm. it's mm. essentially it's a home of football, and it's part of the DNA mm. here in England, and this love for football. 
Um, and with the inception of the Premier League, what is it, in 1992, that kicked off hmm. the biggest, you know, parade in town. As a, as a, as a commercial model, the Premier League has been a resounding success. Yeah, um, but it's still got its own problems. Oh yeah, and uh, and you look you look at other sports, and like amazing the, the 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 growth of women's football certainly in the Super again early. in the public conscious yeah. like over the over the last however long, um, it's still relatively new. But we're still talking about issues like racism, like still in the press today, um, which is unbelievable, and LGBT issues as well. We've still not had. I don't think the uh, certainly a Premier League gay footballer, and yeah. and is it because of that public pressure, or is it is it in spite of that? I don't know, and and it, it kind of tags into now because you you we'll, we'll pick up on um, on how you've got here, but you're an employment lawyer. You deal with these sorts of issues. Yeah, yeah. I mean the the growth in women's football has been fantastic, and not before time. I have to say, um, and I mean, I can only hope that we have players, football players, who are willing to come out and say, "Yeah, I'm gay," because um, we've got it in rugby, and I, do, I don't think it would be a massive issue. We're now we're now at that stage, and I think I like to think people are now mature enough to accept mm-hmm. that simply for what it is, and they're right, go on with it. Yeah, um, but one, and it will happen. And once that happens, then fine, we can go on. Yeah, I think that's I think that's yeah. right, and yeah. and it's again not to put pressure on people, but it's just it it, it, it can't be right, and I think it does the whole game in some ways a bit of a disservice, um, not through lack of trying, because I know there's a lot of effort being made now. Yeah, um, but let's bring it up to date. So back in the UK, mm-hmm. um, you've done your hires. However yeah. many years before, let's yeah. not say how many. Yeah. Um, but you're thinking about what to do. How? Why on earth do you want to become a lawyer? Again, a good question. I, you know, my career was winding down. I thought, right, I want to go and study again. Um, so I approached my local university. I went in there, and I picked up the prospectus, and it was. Sorry, where did you go home to? Oh, That's sorry, Paisley. Just, I went back to Paisley. Oh, Paisley. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. Um, so Paisley University, as it was at the time, I went in, looked at the prospectus, and I thought, all right, okay, this big, thick book. Yeah. What the hell am I going to do here? So I went through it, and methodically, I crossed out what I didn't want to do. I was like, nah, don't want that, don't want that. And I was left with, <laughs> I mean, it was, it was a real educated elimination process. <laughs> nah, I don't like that one. And uh, I was left with law and economics. And I thought, you know what, I'll give this a bash. You know, why not? Um, <laughs> and I thoroughly enjoyed it, but it was it was Scots law. Yeah. Uh, so I did that. I got my degree. I got a first class degree. Um, and then I said, right, what am I going to do with this? Mm. And in Scotland at the time, there was I couldn't see I couldn't see any openings. Um, mm. as to where to take it. So I took a chance and came down to. To London, naively thinking, right? I can just go without doing any research. I can just become a lawyer. Yeah, you know. Um, and that's when I get hit with a cold hard slap again. No, nope, so you're going to have to do it all again. So I, to, I, I took the, the GDL. I think it's, mm. Yeah, 
um, a one year course, you know, the ones that the, the courses that the, the subjects that um, needed yeah, to all do, the to, core topics get covered. Up. Exactly, it's pretty. It's pretty intense. Yeah. Oh, it was. It was. Uh, it's not even a year. I think it's about nine months. Mm. And I, it's like doing a, a law degree in nine months. And I thought, oh no, I did it, but I wouldn't recommend it. No. I, having done a law degree already, I know. <laughs> so it's pretty. It, you go to yeah, the punishment. Yeah. People are saying you must be a masochist. <laughs> uh, but I, I went through it. I did it. Got it. And then. Again, I was left right. I've got this degree. What am I going to do with it? Um, I thought, right, I'll, I'll, I might as well go the whole hog, you know, and for a penny and for a pound. So, I enrolled in the LPC. That was down in here in London. Again. Down here in London, um, again for a year. I financed it myself, you know, and um, got through that, and. Then it was getting a training contract. Mm. Again, I thought I'd done my LPC, plain sailing from now on. Yeah. But no, I had to get yeah, a training contract. I uh, I managed to secure a, a contract with um, a local firm in St Albans. Ah, okay. Near to where I was there. Well, I was living in St Albans at the time. I was there, did a training contract for two years. Mm. But at the, towards the end of my contract, this was what, 2008, 2009. I was at the economic, you know, the crash, the financial crash. I do. None of the trainees were kept on. No, I mean, they were cutting, slashing and burning, you know, all yeah. over the place in, in the firm. Good solicitors were being let go just because of the financial yeah. um, problems. Um, so, and, and to be fair to, to my training firm, they said to me, I think about four or five months beforehand, look, we're not going to keep any of our trainees on. Mm you know, go and have a, a look out in the market, which I did. Um, and I managed to to get a job with big, big international firm down here in the city in their sports practice. Because at that time, I'll take a step back here, as I was doing my, my training contract, I began to realise, oh, wait a minute, I don't have to throw away all the contacts that I've got in sport and football. I can use them going forward. And mm. at that time as well, the concept of of sports law, you know, that term was starting to gain a bit of traction in the market. Mm. And again, I thought, oh, I can use this. You know, I can I can go into that in, in some meaningful way. So there was nothing really in the regions. It was all here in London. Yeah. So as I say, I, I got I managed to get a job with um, a big international firm here in the city. Feel free to name them. We'll send them a bill afterwards for the advertising. It was <laughs> it's it was Hammonds. It's now okay. what Squire Patent Body yeah, changed. Yeah. yeah. Um they had or have a big sports team. Great big firm, you know, massive firm. Mm. Um and it was great exposure to sports, sports law. You know, it was dealing with all sorts of different matters, all in relation to sports. I was I felt, you know, it was like a pig and poo type thing. How many people like you were there? How many former um, or still existing sports people were involved in that? You mean that had played football before? Well, not necessarily footballers, but um, former uh, sports. Yeah, people people who have got an idea of the actual uh, professions rather than being the lawyers, sort of assuming. Um, including me, mm. uh, none. <laughs> there was no. Okay. 
Yeah, there was nobody. So, um, so what what element did you bring to that? Do you think you were? Do you think it helped, or do you think it actually maybe worked against you? It helped from the point of view of from a, well, definitely from a football perspective, mm. as a, in that I could empathise with players mm. um, and coaches. And when we were discussing things with clubs, I could relate to them, they could relate to me. Yeah. So it was the kind of bridge between the legal and, and the sports side of it at that time that, that they appreciated, mm. both parties. Um, but it, it was a great, as I said, it was a great learning experience for me. Steep learning curve, but it was fantastic. Yeah. Um, I then, I used to get headhunted to go to another farm in the city that was is um, it was a big shipping firm, and they just started a sports department. Okay. A partner had you know he'd he'd started this, so he wanted to bring me in to help him out. Yeah. Um, I thought again, why not? I'll give it a bash. So you'd already built a bit of a reputation around. I don't know. I mean, I don't know, but you know, I'm, I've I've been a bit of a risk taker in my life. I've never sat. In, you know, yeah. I've always been wanting right. I'll, I'll give this a go. So I thought again, I'll give this a go. A and I went over, and again, it was it was a great experience. I wasn't just doing football. You know, I was doing other matters. Well, yeah, talk talk to us because we hear sports law a lot, and we've had um, we've had another sports lawyer on before, and uh, she talked through a, a few of the, like the contractual issues and things. But yeah. on a day to day basis, what is it that a sports lawyer would be dealing with? It could have an issue, for example, um, with a player and a club. It could be a tax issue. Um, say, for example, a renegotiation of a contract. Mm. There's been an agent involved. Filling in the forms that it's it would appear that the agent has acted for the club entirely, when in fact that might not be the case. Right. I mean, that, it's just a, yeah, as an example. Yeah. HMRC comes knocking. There's a lot of money. Um, that's not been paid to them. <laughs> they want a pound of flesh, mm. and I'm either acting for the player or the club. Okay, you know, to either get the money or not to get the money yeah. or not to pay the money. Um, or there's it could be an employment contract, but with an international element to it. Mm. A player goes to an example again, a team in Turkey, big money contract. He's there for a month. The coach or the chairman or the president of the club say, thinks, no, I don't fancy you anymore, son, and they stop paying him. Mm. And I've I've had a few of them where you know I've we've had to take it to firstly FIFA, the dispute resolution chamber at FIFA. Okay, how does that work? That, that's that's is it a court? Yeah, it's it's a court and everything, you know, and and you know it, it has the 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 formal court procedures. And the steps that you take beforehand. Wow. You know, it's just like a normal court process um, that you would expect here, but with an international element. I, you know, once I've gone through the, the FIFA process, um, club or player has appealed. So you've had to, I've had to then take it to, or go to CAS, the Court of Arbitration for Sport in Lausanne. Wow. On appeal. And deal with it there, um, which again is 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 you know been really interesting. Yeah. Other issues in sport: a young lad going down, you know, the opposite end, young academy player. Mm. Um, 
he wants to get away from the club and the club says no or they say okay but we want a transfer fee we want compensation uh, and it's an argument over that okay so you, you know you're balancing the the needs or the wants of the club against mm. a young you know a young player so do you think that there's a lot more um, I kept how I phrase it so like a lot more support now for particularly young players but players generally or, or sports people generally around these issues or is it still it depends on who you know how how savvy you are I suppose coming into um, this I'm getting a good question I think there's a recognition of it now mm. you know take for example mental health issues there's a recognition of it mm. and I need to provide support for players whether or not that's enough at the moment and well no I'll, I'll rephrase it there isn't enough that it's not enough at the moment there's a there is a recognition of it now though which previously there wasn't you know there's none of that mm. because players again I'm, I'm relating to football here yeah um but that, that's spread all across all sports um they need some form of help and assistance in that way mm. because they're they're under immense strains and stresses um, and expected to, to deal with it alone and a lot mm. of them particularly in football you've got young boys who and I'm not being disrespectful that they've not had the best backgrounds not had the best education mm. um, they come from deprived broken homes single parents and they have a talent yeah and then they're thrust into this glittering world of well, it's almost like show business yeah when they're getting oodles of money thrown at them um and they've gone from a little boy playing in a, in a housing estate one day to being a superstar mm. and obviously you're going to have problems with that and then you've got that situation and then the next day nobody wants to know you mm. so it's like it's a roller coaster mm. so you can imagine with anyone having to deal with that and do you take on, do you feel like you take on or, or even intend to take on this sort of a mentoring type role in those situations? Do you become the uh, sort of the sage? Um, yeah, you have to be careful with it. But I know I do, I, I agree with you there. And it's, it's a good point, it's a valid point. I do to an extent, mm. um, particularly with football players, because I can empathise with it. Mm. You know, I, I know where they're coming from. Mm. You know, been there, and I try to help them out. Not not just in a legal way. You know, that's that's my job. But the mentoring side of it. You know, the the the, the mental safeguarding mm. side of it. I think that's something that uh, a lot of lawyers do. Uh, probably do it unconsciously. Dealing, yeah, yeah, dealing dealing well. Yeah, um, and that we we probably do increasingly so. Like the, the awareness around clients uh, health mental health um, particularly individuals who you've got to support through but but businesses as well who who do have empathy not always but a lot of the time mm-hmm. um, I think it just just become part of the job and it, particularly for people who've been through those experiences yeah and I think in a, in a legal context now as an employer you have to be aware it's, it's, it's part of your duty of care towards your uh, employees. Mm. To look after that aspect as well, because you could find yourself in real trouble if you don't. Yeah. So, f- football clubs, sports organisations, 
I think they are recognising it, but some are a bit more reluctant than others mm. to implement various you know practices to mm. to um, safeguard that. Mm. And prepare yourself. I've got a football. <laughs> I've got a football reference coming up. Oh, right, so okay. on the pitch, you are a defender. Mm-hmm. But where do you find yourself in a courtroom? Uh, have a yeah. moment to take yeah. that in. Dun, dun, dun. <laughs> <laughs> I, uh, oh, you've thrown me. <laughs> he's, 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 yeah. I think I've thrown myself. I, um, back of my heels at that one. <laughs> Where did I fight? I've I've played both sides, as it were. If that's the right way yeah. to describe it. Yeah. Uh, I have acted for claimants and defendants in both situations, and. Um, I've been fortunate, very fortunate, that um, I have come out on top on most occasions in a, in a litigious situation. Mm. I've got another one. No own goals. Uh, there you go. Uh, thank you. Um, so, so on a day-to-day basis now, so you're now at Charles Douglas and you're heading up the sports yeah. department there. Yeah. Um, you, you mentioned about the responsibility of being an employer. Um, You've got a team there to work with. You've got uh, colleagues to work alongside. H- how's that on a day-to-day basis? Um, I, I mean, I find it okay. I mean, we've also just recently um, set up an agency, a sports agency, as a bolt-on to, to the law firm. And obviously we're dealing with football, in my background, mm. but also rugby, cricket and esports. But as part of it as well, it's mental safeguarding. That's one of our selling points. That's trying to combine both is it's hard. I mean, it's interesting. It's great, but mm. it's, it's hard work, you know. Because I have to remember when to put my solicitor's head on and when I'm, you know, Jerry Maguire head. <laughs> um, and uh, with it, we've we've opened. We've got consultancy offices. Obviously, we're heading up here in Mayfair, but we've got one in um, Lisbon. One in Turin, one down in Santiago in Chile. Wow. And one in Mumbai and one in Holland. So it's trying to, it's an international element, so I'm trying to keep everybody on board and sweet, uh, which has its challenges, I can yeah. say. But it's great, great fun. And, and you say you've changed heads or hats, um, depending on which side you're on, but how easy is that to do? How, dif- how different are those roles? As a solicitor, as you know, we're, we're heavily regulated. And I approach the agency side of it as well with that frame of mind mm. and, and what I do. And agents, intermediaries, whatever you want to call them, they, in, in a football sense, they don't have a great reputation. Mm. Um, and that was one of the reasons why we set this up anyway, to try and provide a bit of clarity, transparency, integrity to the whole thing. So I approach it, the agency side, with my lawyer's head on um, and I find that helps mm. um, and my clients appreciate that as well because mm. they know I'm not there to make a, a quick buck shall mm. we say yeah you know? yeah so having previously done a podcast with Pot Bitch I feel obliged now to ask if you've got any sort of juicy stories to share with us uh, nothing that I can divulge in a legal sense <laughs> okay however there's a few from my time playing football. Mm. Uh, one of which was a time when I was at St Mirren, my first club. Um, we were playing 
Slavia Prague in the UEFA Cup and it was the return leg in Paisley we'd won so we'd gone through they'd gone out right they were a good team as well um, and at the end of the game players are going up the tunnel and at St Mirren's ground in those days as you, as you walk up the tunnel the, the, the opposition the opponents they went left the home team went right right um, and the referee went straight on to his, to their um, changing room. No fisticuffs at this time, no. No, no, they were, they were, they were well beaten. Okay, you good. know, <laughs> no one had to get too riled. Uh, but the the teams are walking up the tunnel, and uh, I think it was the captain. He instead of going left, mm. he walked straight on to the referee's room. Right. And I thought that's a bit odd. Uh, maybe he's just you know he's lost, but. No, we, we found out that he walked into the referee's room and claimed asylum. Wow. Um, obviously meaning I don't want to go back to yeah. um, Prague. Yeah. I, I thought, oh, right, okay. But later on we found out that um, I think it was the, the chap um, Maxwell, the owner of Oxford United. Right. Um, the newspaper owner. Oh yeah. He had, um, I think he's he a Czech background. Um, I think they had been in contact, and this chap, this player, claimed asylum and went to Oxford. I think. So I think there was a bit of something had gone on in the background. Yeah, but also quite offensive. They're not wanting to stay in Paisley. <laughs> well, yeah, that's <laughs> oh, uh, yeah. And having played the whole match, preparing, ready for that, that's incredible. Yeah, God knows what the referee thought. <laughs> he thought, sorry, son, you're in the wrong room. No, no, wait a minute. I'm here. I'm claiming asylum. Football's not all about football at times. No. Well, you, you've you've certainly sold me as a safe pair of hands, um, and uh, and that's like one interesting. To, to go full circle in some ways, and, and to yeah. use that experience, and and to use the law in a way, which you were using it in a way that nobody else really could without that experience. I think that's uh, uh, remarkable and possibly unique. I'm sure there's a few of you similar, but to, to do the agency work alongside it, I think is uh, is, is a great opportunity. Well, I mean, as I said earlier, I think I've said it a few times now. I'm always willing to give something a go. <laughs> yeah. And if it works, it works. If it doesn't, it doesn't. But um, that's what gets me out of bed in the morning. Good. Well, keep getting out of bed. Uh, <laughs> thank you so much for joining us. It's no been a, a, a treat. Um, I feel like I've learned something about football. I'm not sure what, but I'll, uh, uh, I'll keep following the World Cup. And uh, thank you so much. My pleasure. The Hearing. As ever, thank you for listening and we hope you enjoyed this episode. Join us again and why not give us a rating or subscribe? That way you'll get an alert every time we release a new episode. The Hearing, a legal podcast from Thomson Reuters. To find out more, go to tr.com forward slash the hearing or subscribe via iTunes, Spotify or wherever you get your podcasts.